0: I'm back in the saddle again. Broadcasting live on Star Worldwide Networks, Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times.
1: Nobody holds a candle to me.
0: Join National Hall of Famer and author, Sharon Camarillo, as she inspires, educates, and entertains while exploring the fastest-growing equine sport, barrel racing. Get information from top trainers, competitors, and equine educators, tips on training, competition, hauling, nutrition, and more. And now, live from the beautiful San Joaquin Valley of California, here's your host, Sharon Camarillo.
2: Welcome back to our 41st podcast of fun and fast times. Today is another day that God has made and each of us are living our own journey. Our lives consisting of a compilation of chapters like assets and liabilities. Choices are important and I guess it boils down to making more good choices than bad in the long run. However, our biggest lessons often come from our most challenging situations. The goal is not to lose the lesson. I often say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I realize how honored I am to have made hundreds of acquaintances and a few great friends. Interesting how people come in and out of our lives, sometimes for reasons unknown, some only leaving a memory. I hold my friends and acquaintances dear. Each has contributed to the person I am today, and I thank you all for that. Growing up in Southern California, Saturday pony rides on the beach I was born to be a cowgirl. I watched Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Dale, a lady with red lipstick and six guns on her hips. At an early age, I identified my kind of woman. Today, some of the kids that I have in my clinics, they don't even know who Dale Evans is. But I still have memorabilia in my collection. And who can forget our first horse crushes on Trigger and Buttermilk. And I still love Palominos and Buckskins. Little did I know then that my life would lead me to the podium at the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame, accepting my induction award from Red Steagall, standing among my cowgirl idols. My guest today belongs in my chapter of honored friends. After this word from South Point Hotel and Casino, official hotel for the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, returning to Las Vegas December 2nd through 11th, 2021, make your reservations now. And we'll be right back with the legend, Mel Potter, introducing his new book, Mel Potter and Friends. I grew up dreaming
1: of being a cowboy And loving the cowboy ways Pursuing the life of my high-riding hero. I burned up my childhood days. I learned all the rules of a modern-day drifter. Don't you hold on to nothing
0: too long. Just take what you need. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. We'll be right back after this. The South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa is legendary for its old-fashioned Las Vegas hospitality. Thank you to owners Michael and Paula Gon, who treat every guest like family. The South Point Equestrian Center and Preferred Pavilion is host to equestrian events of all disciplines, including the headquarters each December for the National Finals Rodeo and the United States Team Roping Finals. Definitely the place to be, not only during the NFR, but throughout the year. Make sure to check out the list of top entertainers and activities for the entire family, including bowling alleys, theater, award-winning food, great gaming tables, and loose slots. Make the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa your first stop on your next trip to Nevada. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon.
2: Welcome back. Mel Potter is a legend, a man who has friends and fans worldwide. He's an entrepreneur, a successful businessman who wears many hats. He's a record-breaking national finals qualifier in calf roping, team roping, steer roping. He's one of the owners of Rodeos Incorporated, a rodeo stock contracting company who owned some of the greatest and top bucking horses of the day. He's a farmer was a PRCA board member, a cattleman, a sheep raiser, a mink producer. Mel has earned a respected name as a horseman and a breeder of World Championship horses. He was inducted in the Cheyenne and Pendleton Roundup Halls of Fame. He received the Ben Johnson Award, and his horse Chubbs won the AQHA Steer Roping Horse of the Year in 1996. The American Cowboy Culture Award and Legends of Rodeo honored Mel and his wife, Wendy, for their contributions. Wendy was a four-times national finals rodeo qualifier. Mel and Wendy met in high school. They married in college at the University of Arizona, both intercollegiate all-around championships. Uh, Did I mention that Mel's also an outstanding pilot? Gaining his wings and harrowing experiences, which he shares in his new book, Mel Potter and Friends, including great stories of survival. In Mel's own words, flying is hours of boredom followed by a few seconds of sheer terror. I love Mel's sense of humor. It's realistic, and he's been there, done that. He's highly regarded. He's a husband, a father, a grandfather, and a respected friend, irregardless of the age barrier. The foreword written in Mel Potter and Friend's book was written by famous sculptor and friend Deborah Copenhaver Fellows. She's daughter of Mel's lifelong friend and rodeo legend, Deb Copenhaver. Deb writes, Every culture has its legends and heroes. In America, that's the cowboy. His values are legendary. Loyalty, integrity, faithfulness, and independence. They're not taught in schools or inherited, but handed down from one cowboy to another. Mel Potter represents the best of America. Welcome, Mel, to Fun and Fast Times. It's an honor to have you join us. Where does the phone call find you today?
1: I'm just sitting here in my living room watching TV until you called.
2: (laughs) Well, the news on the television, I don't know about you, but I'm sure getting tired of it. I've gotten to where I catch a little news on the radio and don't watch much network news on the television anymore.
1: I understand that.
2: Well, aside from your trophy room full of memorabilia, from rodeo competitions to championship bucking horses, I'd say the cranberry business has provided the bar for generations of the Potter family. In your book, Mel Potter and Friends, which I have to say is a page-turner, you offered a history from your grandfather, Melvin Orrin Potter, just after the Civil War, when he and his brother were interested in planting cranberries and it goes all the way to your involvement today. Can you give us a condensed time frame of the history of the potters and the cranberry farming business, Mill?
1: My grandfather and his brother, back in the middle to later part of the 1800s, living in Wisconsin, they'd heard about one guy that was raising cranberries commercially. They'd been grown there in the wild for years. So that these two kids went over there 18, 19 years old to talk to this gentleman that had this Cranberry Marsh. They snowshoot about 50 miles over to where this guy lived, and probably below zero. Everybody's sitting around a hot-bellied stove in their telling stories, and they asked if they could find this guy. And they said, well, if you'll just wait here, you'll be here in a few minutes. And here this guy comes up in this beautiful black sleigh. Evidently, everybody there knew him and knew of him and he was a pretty important guy around there at that time and what really caught their eye was when he came in there pulled out a cigar rolled up this five dollar bill in a little mic mm-hmm. and put it up against the hot pot that it stole and of course it's caught fire and he lit his cigar with that five dollar bill
2: <laughs>
1: and back in those days
2: and $5 that five dollar bill was, in today's world is worth a hundred dollar bill
1: well probably at least maybe more i don't know but they decided they needed to get in the cranberry business and,
2: <laughs> and they went
1: to work and they developed one marsh and it burned out and the wildfire came through and it broke them you know uh, lost everything they put into it but My grandfather came back and developed another one, and now uh, many of his descendants are in the cranberry business. I imagine the Potter family raises probably, I don't know, 30, 40% of the cranberries raised in the state of Wisconsin. That's how our family got into the business.
2: Your dad was inspirational in going up to Massachusetts, as I remember, and getting involved with some farmers that co-opted their cranberries. Is that when Ocean Spray got started in Wisconsin, Mill?
1: Actually, it was started in Massachusetts, but the girls in Wisconsin, they put that company together. It was a big co-op, probably maybe the most successful co-op in the world of agriculture. It's developed into a company that's probably, it's worth several billion dollars, but they sell fresh cranberries, and processed cranberries, and apple juice. And it's a big company now that the growers all own. It's getting along pretty good. It's helped make the cranberry business good and successful. I, I
2: think, think it's so. interesting in your book that you quote that Ocean Spray is one of the most successful businesses in the United States history
1: successful co-ops owned by the producers.
2: And cranberries, we recognize the Wisconsin bogs and the East Coast, but you were telling me the other day they come as far away as Chile and Canada.
1: Yes, they've uh, developed cranberry marshes in Canada and also an area down in Chile that the environment's similar to where they've grown in Wisconsin. It takes a unique environment raise cranberries in. So the soil needs to be very acidic. And even the water that you use on the cranberries needs to be acidic.
2: It's interesting that your grandfather, after the Civil War, wanted to grow cranberries that grew wild out in the forests. And I'm sure that they've had several generations of high the plump, nice cranberries that we put on our Thanksgiving table. Yep,
1: they have developed new varieties and varieties that produce more, as all agriculture has. It's a pretty interesting crop.
2: Mel, with the number of occupations that you've vested in, from rodeo stock contractor to cowboy to cattle to sheep, feedlots, just to name a few, cranberries didn't exactly hold your interest? Is that an honest statement? Is that a correct statement? Well, you know, when I
1: started coming to Arizona when I was a kid, And I got hooked on the rodeo deal. (laughs) and uh, that really excited me, and I loved doing it and trying to do it. That's been the downfall uh, of
2: many young men, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I went through college and everything, and my dad, after I graduated, he asked me, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well... I'm going to go rodeo and make a lot of money. That was the first year the national finals was held, and I actually made it to the finals. I don't know. I I went in there, I don't know, 11th, 12th, 13th, somewhere in there. I got back from that, and I had a a worn-out Ford station wagon. One of my 2 rope horses was crippled. I needed new tires for my horse trailer. I had enough money in the bank to enter the first maybe 10, 12 big rodeos in the spring, ended up in the top 15 of the world. And uh, my dad said, well, what do you think about it now? And I said, well, I think maybe I better go up there to Wisconsin and learn how to raise those cranberries. (laughs) 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 So then on, rodeo and roping and stuff was pretty much my hobby.
2: Mel, you've had a successful rodeo career, winning and placing at every major rodeo in the country, including Cheyenne, Pendleton, Calgary, the legends, not to mention the National Finals Rodeo. To start out your first year, that was an amazing feat, I think, Mel.
1: Well, that was the first year they had it. And looking back, it is kind of amazing. I got good enough to be able to you know, rope competitively with or anybody. From then on, I, I never went full-time, I might go to 25, 30 rodeos a year, you know, and did well at them, but I always made sure I was back there taking care of what really made some good money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you've competed and befriended the the great names in rodeo history. To name a few, the legendary Bronc riders, the Teshers, Dale Smith, Sonny Davis, yeah. the Good Speeds, yeah. the Burks, the Coopers, all roping legends, Glenn Franklin. Yep. Bill Linderman, yep. who at that point yep. was RCA president and all-around champion, of course, Casey Tibbs, Larry Mahan, the great Dean Oliver, yep. Ben Johnson, <laughs> Ty Murray, Trevor yep. Brazil in today's world, the Camarillos, the list goes on yep. and on. I mean, I've just fallen in admiration with you for the multi-interest and, and hats that you wear. I, I think these men felt the same way. You certainly expanded your boundaries out of Wisconsin. I appreciated <laughs> you telling us the story why you came to Arizona and how you got involved in the rodeo business.
1: I uh, asthma when I was a kid. My parents thought Arizona climate might help me, and it did. I always said it cured me of the asthma, but infected me as a virus, rodeo.
2: <laughs> I'm sure your dad was excited that he figured out that he could lure your back now and then. And in today's world, you spend part of the year in Wisconsin and the winter in Arizona. Am I right?
1: Yes. Becoming a pilot really was a big part of my life because I was able to do so much more because I could fly and get someplace. You know, I could be up in Wisconsin taking care of cranberry business in the morning and Rope a Steer in Cheyenne in the afternoon. It was amazing. I've been so fortunate yet to, to know so many great people. That's the big part about rodeo, I think, is all the neat different people that I got to know and become very good friends with that I never would have ever even heard of or known if I hadn't been involved in rodeo.
2: Well, I'd be remiss not to ask a few questions related to your rodeo horses. You've gained a great eye for good horses, regardless of the event or discipline. And one of the most recognized names in barrel racing is your daughter, Sherry Servy. And before Sherry, your Mm. oldest daughter, Jo Lynn, was a national all-around cowgirl in high school competition. And I know you were influential uh, at that time in mounting the girls. Can you explain what you saw in some of the great horses you had, like the little red gyra mare, Wendy's autodial, the Tin Man and Hawk, and uh, the horses that Sherry Troubles won her first world titles on? I I know that you had your hand in all of them.
1: Well, that little bear I bought when she was 18 months old, and I was about 12, maybe. <laughs> I broke her. I didn't know anything about breaking a horse or training them. You know, I just, I just kind of...
2: You're ruining the aspect of horsemanship in today's world with all of us clinicians <laughs> when we can go out and buy a long weanling and, and then train him ourselves yeah. as a 10-year-old male.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was amazing that that all turned out. Were good. I ran into some great people.
0: I had that little
1: mare. She wasn't very good. I mean, she was pretty mediocre. I ran into, got to be friends with some people. They told me I needed to get a better horse. So, they Put me in touch with a guy by the name of just good speed, and I went by his place to see about getting a good calf horse and got there and introduced myself and told him the guys that had told me to come by and talk to him, see if he had a horse and tell me maybe that it would work. And So uh, I stopped by there, and he, he says, Well, let me watch you rope with you on your horse. And he says, Well, you can really improve yourself a whole lot more than just getting a horse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, every good cowboy has a better horse right <laughs> right
1: but anyway it showed me a lot of pointers helped me and then he sold me an old horse it was i would say you know on his latter years been a great horse and i think back he was still maybe one of the best ones i've ever owned and i've had a lot of good ones but anyway he helped me and then i started riding this new horse that allowed me to Start winning a little bit, and I just kind of followed along that trail. You know, I just kept going and got a little better. And back in those days, you know, you entered until you got to where you could win something or you quit one or the other.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like today with the World Series ropings and the numbered ropings right. and the four divisions and the barrel racing. You know, there's a chance for everybody to get a check. I, I know that yeah, Tin Man yeah. Troubles and Hawk, that Sherry, took to the national finals and did so well on were horses that you bought. And now that you're in the performance breeding business with the purchase of the legendary Danero, would you share the story that you included in the book about how you came about buying Dinero De
1: Well, Denero he was a full brother.
2: Christy, oh, Peterson's Christy Peterson's horse
1: Bozo? Great horse Bozo. At that time, I thought Bozo was probably the toughest barrel horse that
2: ever been, even though. I think you saw wrist. a steer roping horse in that horse Bozo, Mel. <laughs> well, yeah, I did that too, He was any kind of horse, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was very well built and
1: could really run. And he was just a heck of a horse. He turned out way better than I was even expecting him to. So uh, I just decided to buy him when he came for sale, and I hadn't planned on giving that much money, but I had a friend of mine buy him for me, so they didn't see that I was trying to buy him, And I figured they'd run him up a little price-wise, and- so I ended up buying him, but I bought him for quite a bit more than I had expected to pay for him. I think in the book smart. you said
2: that you thought you'd give about 20 for him and gave significantly more than that yeah. when it was all said and done. Yeah. Well, the yeah, rest I is know. history. I mean, you got Stingray, yeah. Sherry's fourth World's Championship. The Bloodlines have produced Haley Kinzel's three-times World's Champion mare sister, oh. along with Carly Taylor's Dina De Niro the 2019 yeah. WPRA rookie. She's now in the 2021 top 15, to name a few, and, and we're just seeing more and more champions that carry that De Niro bloodline come up into the ranks of successful barrel racing and roping. Where do you see the future going with this program that you're running with the bloodlines of De Niro?
1: Well, I hope they'll continue on. She's passed away. We do have a lot of frozen semen left of his. He definitely had to be I'd say one of the three best producing barrel and rodeo horses there's been. Talk about Dash to Fames had some great barrel horses lots of them and Reisman's guy had some great barrel horses. I don't know if even those horses had near the horses that Monero had. It's like bulldogging team roping Capital from rail racing and then he's had two fillies that were right at two million apiece, and uh, there hadn't been any other horses that have done that produce those kind of winners. Anyway, he was never pushed like those other ones were, didn't really promoted like should have been able to. I was busy doing a lot of other
2: things, wearing many hats, and wearing all those hats, and that's interesting, Mel. That. Your vision for De Niro and what he's done for the barrel racing industry started out with your respect for Bozo. When you looked at Bozo, I mean, there had to be things that you were looking at. You know, I tell these barrel racers who can't get saddles to fit their horses back, the first thing I look at when I walk up to a horse is his back, because I know if I'm not going to fit a saddle on it, I never will. It's going to be difficult. Uh, So when you looked at uh, Bozo, there were certain aspects of that confirmation that you saw would, would make any kind of horse that that you wanted to make out of a horse like that, what do you see in these horses that makes them so successful?
1: Well, a lot of it's in their mind. They've got a lot of cow in them and just are good-looking horses. They're not the real bulldog type or the real thoroughbred type. They're kind of the the middle-of-the-road colts. You know, they've just been awful successful at whatever they've made them do. There's a lot of uh, breeding in his ancestry. That I was knew about. They were all raised right down here around where I was raised in the winter. So when I first bought him I, I knew what he could do, but I also knew what his relations were his family of horses. Great, great performance horses and his pedigree.
2: Mel, would you hold that thought? We're gonna be right back following this commercial break.
0: You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. We'll be right back after this. Flare Equine Nasal Strips are self-adhesive strips that promote optimum respiratory health of equine athletes at every level of competition. The strips reduce airway resistance and improve airflow when your horse needs oxygen most. Veterinarian-developed flare Strips are a drug-free, simple, cost-effective tool for supporting the long-term respiratory health of all equine athletes that perform in both training and competition with undaunted enthusiasm and heart. Try Flair Strips and experience the benefits for your horse, whether it be at the Kentucky Derby or during occasional weekend competitions or trail rides. Go to flairstrips.com to learn more and find retailers near you. Your horse will be glad you did. Cowboys ain't easy to love and they're harder to hold.
1: And they'd rather give you a song than diamonds. Long star bell buckles and old faded Levi's, and each night begins a new day. And if you don't understand him, and he don't die young, he'll probably just ride away.
2: I'm Sharon Camarillo, and joining me today is Mel Potter. On the lighter side, Mel, I have to say again how much I enjoyed your book, and I'm so honored that you take the time to share your life with us on Fun and Fast Times. My personal book here that you were so gracious to sign is peppered with probably 150 sticky notes just in hopes that you join me today. So it is an honor, and I appreciate it. I want to ask you how the author of Mel Potter and Friends, Ed Ashurst, enticed you to collaborate in writing the book because I can only imagine it was quite an undertaking.
1: Well, it was. I just had no idea how you go about doing something like that. But Ed kind of walked me through it. And he helped me a lot. He knew what I needed to do. I needed to just remember the stories that happened to me and put them on tape, the tape recorder. And so once I started thinking about some of the different things that I've been involved in or different experiences I've had, It became pretty easy. One story would remind me of another one.
2: Well, he certainly had the ability to wrap the many occupations and interests of Mel Potter into a well-respected package and at the same time present great facts and very little sugarcoating.
1: Well, it was just a lot of fun experiences with very neat people. I think that's what all our lives are all about is people we meet And uh, become friends with their stories, very interesting stories, too, you know.
2: Speaking of stories, I I know that you've shared your experience at the Tucson Pro-Am Golf Tournament, which is another occupation, golfing, along with mink raising. It's quite a story, and it brought a belly laugh when I was reading in the book, Which shows not only your sense of humor, but your ability to step in crap and come out smelling like a doggone, freshly groomed show horse. Would you share that story with us again?
1: I was up in Colorado Springs watching Sherry get her first world championship buckle, and a friend of mine, Lynn Sherry, called me and he said, I've got a friend, he owned the Coca-Cola distributorship here in Tucson, and he said that they're having a Pro-Am and that He'd bought in for two teams. Well, I'd been playing golf about two years, and I, I wasn't no, that serious, but I was trying to get better, you know, and everything. And I didn't really realize what he was talking about, but this Pro-Am deal at the Tucson Open, one of the big tournaments, I didn't really realize what it was all about. I never, ever.
2: Until <laughs> you saw I'd the TV trucks parked in the parking lot, right?
1: Right, and all the people standing around. I got out there, and they asked me for my handicap. Well, I never (laughs) kept track of my handicap. I just played, had fun playing, you know. So the old guy asked me, well, what what do you usually shoot? And I said, oh, I usually shoot maybe in the 90s. Sometimes I'm over. I've been in the 80s a few times, but not very often. So he says, well, we'll give you a 22. That means you had a stroke on every hole and two strokes on the par fives. So anyway, here I am walking out there as an old cowboy with all these fancy <laughs> golf people pulling up in their big Mercedes. I pull up in my old Ford pickup. And what the deal is on one of these things, there's five on a team. You got one pro. Everybody hits the ball and keeps track of their own score. Whoever scores best on a hole, that's the one the team uses. Jim Furek, who was a great golfer, was my guy. I mean, he was good. He's, he's got, got to be one of the 10 best golfers, I'd say, in the last 20 years. And the other guy was on Arizona Athletic directory and about a three handicap, which is a damn good handicap. I mean, you've got to play damn well to have that. Another car dealer from up in Spokane, he had a two or three handicap. And then there's this other guy from Tucson, he had about a 12 handicap. So we get up here to the first tee, and then there's 500 people standing around waiting to watch us me off and I'm thinking
0: what in the hell am I
1: doing here (laughs) and they all shot Shurik way down the middle and those guys they were all on the fairway and I get up there and I'm thinking boy I've got to really if this summer got hard. Well, when you swing hard, you don't really know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> Disaster's right. I hooked the first one, and this was on a, a bad course for a, not a good golfer. It was when you went off the fairway you were you were in in the cactus and rattlesnakes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I hit the first one out to the left, out in the cactus and everybody had a candy, you know, so I don't even get to sw- take another swing, and I just walk down, watch everybody else finish putting, go to the next hole, get up there, same deal. People there and everything. And I hit another one, and I hit out to the right in the desert. And I could tell these guys they wanted to win this, but you know, and here they got this old cowboy can't even <laughs> make a score on one hole yet.
0: Yeah, they weren't
1: acting very friendly to me. And the next hole. Jim Furyk's dad was there, and he came over to me, and he says, look, don't even watch those guys. You've got a great handicap. You just play the way you play. Don't even look at them. So, well, then that next hole I hit, a par three. I hit it, landed on the green but it went in the, in the sand trap. Well, when I hit it out of the sand trap, it went over the green, so I was out again. I, but I finally got past getting, making a drive. The next hole was a 4 I hit two down the fairway, but I was maybe 20, 30 yards from the hole. Well, damned if I didn't ship it in, which was a birdie, which with my handicap was an eagle. So now the, the guys at least, oh, good going. They at least acknowledged I was alive. Before that, <laughs> they wouldn't even walk with me. <laughs> and so a couple of holes go, par three, I hit it on the green it in for another birdie but it was an eagle so to make a long story short i i went to another par five two down the fairway the third one was on the green i two putted it for par which five but i got two strokes on the par fives so here i've got three eagles i made another eagle on a par three and i made another eagle on a par five We ended up winning it. Our team was 15 under and I was 10 of them. And the hotshots all between all of them, they ended up five under. Uh-huh. Cherokee gets $5,000 check. And all us guys, we got these big Katrina dolls valued at about $500. And anyway, that was my debut in the world of personal dolls. But <laughs> <I'll> never let <laughs> so so that happen again, I'll trophy. tell you.
2: You've got plaques for champion bucking horses. You've got trophies <laughs> from Cheyenne, Pendleton, different places around the country, national finals, and a Kachina doll. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, Mel, getting back to the book, I have to say the backstory is your respect, not only for your many friends and, and the great life that you've enjoyed, but first and foremost for Wendy, your wife. She has certainly been your supporting partner. She's been at the airport waiting for you to come in when there's storms, worried for you, I know, raised your girls when you were here, there, and everywhere. She's always driving that rig if she has to meet you in Wisconsin and you're flying. I mean, she's been the salt of the earth and such a great supporter in your life.
1: Yep, that's for sure.
2: Kind of hard to brag about your wife, but boy, she's yep. she's a good one and was a great uh, national yep. finals barrel racer. And also, yep. I enjoyed the admiration that you have for your daughters and their husbands. And the women in your life, like yourself, are overachievers. Yep. They're talented competitors. Your son-in-laws are competitors in their own right, George Alexander, and of course, world's champion, Corey Petska. Yep. How exciting is it to see them carry on the legacy that you started?
1: Well, it's it's fun seeing them do well. You know, it's pretty well for everybody, you know. uh, All of us like to see our kids or family do well.
2: You've never been like your dad and said, get a real job when you ask him to come (laughs) back to Wisconsin and they need to be in Cheyenne?
0: No,
1: (laughs) I've encouraged them to rodeo, you know, and and they've done well. Kind of when Ed was trying to decide what to name this book, I said, you ought to name it My 84-Year Vacation. (laughs) Everything (laughs) I I did, I enjoyed doing.
2: Mel, can you give our listeners a dose of the Mel Potter recipe for success? How to spend your life on vacation?
1: (laughs) Well, just do things you enjoy doing them, and take advantage of friendship for the many people you run into, and that brings you to other things that happen in your life, and just keep looking ahead. I've been awful fortunate to have a great family and life, and been an interesting life.
2: Your, your great, great friend, great Malcolm Baldrige, who was Secretary of Commerce yep. during the Reagan yep. administration, yep made the comment yeah. that success is finding what you really like to do and then trying to do it the best you can. That certainly sums up your comment about finding something that you enjoy.
1: Yeah, I've been pretty lucky. I had a great life.
2: And more to come. Mel, I <laughs> want to say thank you for joining us. And most important, thank you for touching on the highlights of your life would you say the best way to to get the book, Mel Potter and Friends, is through Amazon? Or would you suggest that I, we go straight to Ed's number? I can give that at the closing of the podcast.
1: I think you can get them right from Ed. He probably doesn't have to pay a commission that way. I know my
2: friends right got tired life. of me talking about it while I was reading it. I I just laughed and I cried and I admired what you're doing and the humble nature, you know, after being involved with one of the most successful co-op businesses in the United States, the Ocean Spray. You've been generous and a good friend. And one of my treasured possessions is the salutation that you put in the front of the book for me. And I appreciate that, Mel. Well,
1: you're one of the many people that I've got to know in my life and enjoyed knowing you. It's been a blessing to go with you and the rest of the friends I've got.
2: I appreciate taking your time. I'm going to let you get back to the news. I hope it's good news. Please give <laughs> uh, the family my love, and okay. we'll look forward to talking to you again.
1: Okay, sounds good.
2: We'll be right back Talk following this break.
0: Sharon Camarillo's fun and fast times. We'll be right back after this. The Barrel Racing Superstore is your one-stop shop and we're here to help you. We have Rainsman bits including Sharon's entire collection and those hard to find discontinued favorites that we're committed to keeping in stock. You can build the saddle of your dreams with our experts, including seat size, tooling, and colors, so you can have a truly custom saddle. If you need electronic timers for your arena or association, we have them. Call us, 530-570-1852, or go to Superstore.com. We're here for your success. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon.
2: Thank you again to Mel Potter for sharing his extraordinarily full life. And thank you to Willie Nelson for embellishing our show with his iconic voice and his music. Mel Potter and Friends is available through Amazon or call direct to Ed Ashurst or his wife, Jean, at the Douglas, Arizona Ranch, 520-508-2846. And we'll also post on Fun and Fast Times that number. And Rob, Tribb, thank you so much for producing our show on Star Worldwide Network. Debbie Wood Matthews, our show director. Of course, our sponsors who keep us on the air, South Point Hotel, home to 2021 Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, December 2 through the 11th. Make your reservations now. Flair Equine Nasal Strips. If you've ever watched barrel racing and wondered what those strips were above the horse's nose, across the bridge of their nose that's the flare nasal strip and it's a great way to opening the airways and i say better performance through science barrel racing superstore for your tack saddles and accessories you can always call debbie direct at 530-570-1852 with any questions you might have in customizing your equipment or your order i'm sharon camarillo join us on facebook at sharon camarillo team camarillo and fun and fast times until our next podcast be well life's a journey enjoy the ride
0: Thanks for joining Sharon today. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach out to Sharon at SharonCamarillo.com or email productions at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on Fun and Fast Times with Sharon Camarillo, part of Dave Pratt Star Worldwide Networks.